Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 28, Robert Wood. Welcome back. I'm Brittany. I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're Lone Star 187. Do I have a story for you? Oh, shit. It also has a lot of comedy in it, too. That's good. We need a little comedy with this yeah. pandemic that's going on. Are we keeping six feet? Uh, I, I hope so. I think so. So if you can't hear me, it's because I'm too far away. I'll try to be loud. So, so where are we this week? We're in D-Town, Dallas. We're in Dallas? We're in Dallas. Shit. We are on November 27th of 1976. Wow, an older one again. An older some one, of yes. these, uh, the older ones are some of my favorites, actually. So we have a man by the name of Randall Adams. He's 27 years old, and he's walking down Hampton. Hampton oh, Hampton Road. Hampton Road in Dallas. And his car's run out of gas. And this 16-year-old boy named David Ray Harris. What? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Didn't we just do a Harris story? Yeah, was David Lee Harris, but he was the victim. This guy isn't the victim. He is from Vider, Texas, which... Oh, I know where that is. Little public service announcement. They're still an active KKK there. They still (laughs) get together with the hoods and everything. And the burning of their crosses. I do not know what I would do if I saw that. I think I would catch them all on fire. Is that a little extreme? No. I mean, I'm. we're from the South, but no one deserves to be treated that way yeah. because of the color of their skin. So he's from Viter, so you can kind of know what kind of person he okay. is. Okay. He's a white guy. Is he a skinhead? No. Not that there's anything wrong with it's that. It's the 70s. He's got shaggy hair. Oh. <laughs> he has a mullet. Probably not a mullet, but, you know, he's got a 70s too. So he pulls up in a blue sedan and tells Adams, hey, you know, do you need a ride? And he's like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, so... They got in the car, they hung out, drank some beer together, smoked some marijuana. They drove to a drive-in in Irving, watched some movies. As they're finishing the movie at the drive-in, they leave. The other part of Dallas, Officer Robert Wood and his partner, Teresa Turco. Sorry, Robert who? Wood. <laughs> like, oh. Can we just call him R-Dub? <laughs> I felt very immature typing this. Oh, Every sure. time I wrote Officer Wood, I was like... <laughs> We're sorry, Officer Wood, but... So, Officer Wood and his partner, Teresa Turco, are at a Burger King. I wonder if she's related to Marty Turco, the hockey guy. Sidetrack. Never mind. So, they're at a drive-thru Burger King on Hampton Road, and as they're pulling away, they notice a blue sedan with the headlights off. So, Officer Wood was like, you know, I'm just going to warn them. I'm going to pull them over. And so, he got out. He pulls behind them. You know, signals his lights and everything. Car pulls over. And he leaves his ticket book in the car with his partner. He's like, I'm just going to go warn him. Like, maybe they don't know their lights are out. He leaves the ticket book in the car. And standard procedure was to radio in all vehicle descriptions. Mm-hmm. That they're calling someone over. Also, the license plate number to the dispatcher so they can run it and make sure there's warrants. We're very familiar with that. Are and, they? I mean, how many times have we done cases? <laughs> this ain't ever oh, I thought you were insinuating that I get pulled over a lot. Well, we do have red <laughs> feet. Thank you, Dad. And with it being a two-officer patrolman, that's usually what happens, but they ignored that procedure. 
So the second officer is supposed to get out and stand at the right rear fender of the vehicle while the other policeman approaches. But she stayed back in the car while she drank her milkshake. They're breaking all kinds of rules tonight, huh? Well, she had to drink her milkshake. It brings all the boys to the yard. You know. And so while Officer Wood is approaching the vehicle uh, with David Harris as the driver and Randall Adams in the passenger seat, this is... Um, I thought they had already split ways and left the movie theater. Officer Turco stays in the back in the patrol car drinking her milkshake. And as Officer Wood approaches the vehicle um, with David Harris in it as the driver... And presumed Randall Adams is still with him at this point. We're not sure. Um, Someone is with him in the car. So Robert Wood approaches the driver's side of the car, and a gun is pulled. The, from the person in the car? Or yes. the car? The, oh, shit. So a gun is pulled from inside the vehicle, and Officer Wood is shot five times, killing him instantly. Son of a bitch! Wow! So, I was not expecting that. Yes. So his partner, Teresa Turco, was already out of the patrol car at this point, and she still has her milkshake in her hand. And so she goes to run towards the vehicle and throws her milkshake and fires at the car um, multiple times, but doesn't hit the vehicle. Hmm. So the car speeds away. So she immediately radios in for help. And within five minutes, another unit is on the scene and others, you know, are en route. So because Officer Turco was the only one that observed the incident and she's saying, no, I only saw one person in the vehicle. Oh, she didn't know there were two. Yeah, I, I and the I other cop saw, is dead, so he can't tell her. I only saw the driver. I didn't see anybody in the passenger seat. So since she was the only eyewitness, they start investigating her. So they take her to the headquarters, and they take her badge, her gun, everything. And they interrogate her like she's a suspect. And I know at this point, like, she could have shot him. I mean, there's literally no evidence that there's somebody else was there. They didn't radio it in, so there's no proof they pulled over Right, so you can see how they would be suspicious then, because Absolutely. they didn't follow protocol at all. And this was back before body cam, so there's no evidence, there's no cameras or anything to to indicate what really happened. Right. There might have been a lot of corruption at the time, too, so... And she was... It wasn't very common then for there to be female police officers on active duty. They were, you know... Behind the fucking desk. Yeah. So, she was one of the very few that was on patrol. So, sure, she took a lot of heat for that. So, Sergeant Gus Rose... Uh, questioned her for four solid hours, but was unable to really get any information from her. She just kept telling them the same thing. Um, but because Officer Wood had been the second cop in less than a month to be a victim of a random shooting by a civilian, there was like an irrational amount of witch hunting going on to solve this case as soon as possible. So I think they were trying to make it fit. Like if they could just make it fit. Yeah. Um, so they were trying to pin it on her. A little bit, yeah. Because it was easy. And try and make That's her feel guilty. Up. Like... Why weren't you out there with your partner? Why didn't you radio it in? Just I mean, those are all legitimate questions, regardless of the situation. Right. And right. Even though he didn't radio it in, as he's walking up to the vehicle, why aren't you radioing it or in? Or why wasn't she writing down the license plate in the event something mm-hmm. happened? Right. So uh, Internal Affairs does an investigation and concludes that she really had no, she didn't do anything wrong. And she did the best she could due to the circumstances. She could have helped more, but she's really not responsible. So she was relieved of her patrol duty and benched until the investigation was complete. Uh uh-uh. uh. Then they gave her a lie detector test, which was in- inconclusive. So at this point, they're pretty much like sitting ducks. Like they don't know. They so have they're no, stuck. It's a cold case yeah, now. Yeah. So this is the 27th. So this is the, um, so this would be the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So okay. we fast forward to December 2nd. There's this woman named Emily Miller. And an uh, off-duty cop pulls up to a red light, 
and this woman pulls up to him and rolls her window down. She's like, hey, um, y'all put in the newspaper that y'all saw a blue Vega pulled over. And I just want to let y'all know that it was a blue Mercury Comet because I drove by and I saw it and it was a Mercury Comet. It wasn't a Vega. So y'all aren't going to find anything until y'all change that. And they're like, where have you... Get your ass to the police station. We've got a thousand questions for you. So they start investigating who this woman is. And she's a 36-year-old white woman married to a black man, which already puts her at speculation because she's a white man married to a black man in the 70s She's a white man? She's a white woman. (laughs) Now I'm all kind of confused. Are you making shit up as you go? I am. There's nothing on my paper. It's blank. (laughs) You're just making shit up. I'm trying to make it this a really good story. No one investigate this. This didn't happen. Like, now we're just a make bullshit up podcast. I'm doing really good so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying it. So she's that a, would be really twisted if I if you turn your laptop around and your word doc is empty. Is it all work and no play meets Brittany a dull girl? She's so a white woman married to a black man. Okay, and everyone in the neighborhood and that knew her described her as the nosy type. Uh oh. So she's a Gladys Kravitz. Yep. And she said she just happened to be driving on Hampton Road with her husband, Robert, around 1240 a.m. The moment Officer Wood was approaching the vehicle and Mr. and Mrs. Miller recognized Officer Wood because he had befriended a family friend of theirs when her daughter was caught driving without a license. Oh, so they knew the cop. Yeah. Just by driving by in three seconds, they knew who the cop was, the color of the car, and the the make. Hmm. I don't know about that. So Miss Miller stated, even though it was dark, and she she's was already trying to show them that I realize the odds are stacked against me, but and I'm traveling at twelve forty at night, so it's dark. I'm traveling in the opposite direction, and I'm in the passenger seat of a vehicle. I saw everything. So let's think about that. She's in the passenger seat. They're driving. I'm sure the police car is right behind the blue car, mm-hmm. whether it was a Comet or a Vega, right? Mm-hmm. Cars in the seventies. That's funny. The likelihood, it depends. Like, what if it's the side of the road and there's no street light? Like, if there's no street light, she's completely full of shit. Even there's if your no headlights light. shine on them, they're going to be low. They're not going to be eye level. So you're just going to see that it's a cop car, and that's really it. So I think she's full of shit, for the record. Okay. Is that on the record? I said that. I said that. <laughs> there was a little TikTok in there. <laughs> um, so she said, um, I took a really hard look at the driver because I thought it was my son-in-law who's Hispanic and he drives a similar car because the driver looked a Mexican or light-skinned black man. I I'm can like, see, you know, you have I, a whole lot of information for stuff going four on. second snapshot. I mean, I can see looking, trying to see the driver in the car because yeah. you might recognize them. So maybe that's possible, but I don't believe she saw the cop and actually knew who he was and all that. So her husband, Robert, didn't make a statement initially. Like, when they came and asked him, he's like, I don't even remember that night. Even though it was just like (laughs) five days ago, he didn't remember. I mean, there's a lot of partying going on at Thanksgiving. Five months later. Oh, wait, there's more. But wait, if you stay tuned, you can get two of them. Five months later, the investigation stalls and they put out a reward for 10,000, which they then up to 20,000, which they then increased to 25,000. Oh. So then a week prior to Christmas, a development happens. She was trying to get that 25K? So David Harris, at the end of the night. Okay, what night? The end of the night that the officer was killed. Okay. David Harris. So So, back to to the night of the murder. Okay. David Harris drops off Randall Adams at his house after the shooting. 
and he drives southeast 300 miles to his parents' house back in Bider. After the shooting or after the movie? After the shooting. Oh, okay. So I forget that they were together. During the next few days, he goes and brags to all his friends that he off to Pig in Dallas. What a dumbass. He was already on probation due to admitting to burglarizing a home and stole a car, a blue Mercury Comet. Oh, oh. And drove to Dallas the day after Thanksgiving to dispose of all the items he sold at pawn shops. Wait a second. A comet. So our our Gladys Kravitz of the story was right about the car. She was. Okay. And part of the stolen items that he stole during the burglary. Part of the stolen items that he stole. Why am I the queen of repetition? I don't know, but I love it. Cue the list <clears throat> of stolen items. <laughs> What the fuck did he steal? Let's just get to the meat of this. One of the items that was stolen was a twenty-two pistol. A twenty-two caliber Which turned pistol. out to be the pistol that killed Officer Wood. Harris stated he gave the gun to a friend, then borrowed a rifle, which he used to rob a convenience store. He also admitted the burglaries and the robbery, but said he was just bragging he didn't kill the cop to his friends. He was like, oh no, I was just kidding. I really did the burglaries, but I didn't really do the murder. Because of all this bragging, the local police notify Dallas police. And local police go to talk to Harris. Harris is like, you know what? How about this? Why don't you go talk to them big cops in Dallas and tell them if they can get you here in Vider to drop all the charges? I'll say, I'll just say that I killed the cop. Okay. You do understand, you idiot, <laughs> that this is not the smartest criminal. And taking on a murder sentence is really not in your favor. That's like, that's like, how about I give you $5 and you give me 25 cents back? <laughs> so Sergeant Gus Rose talked to Officer Turco after it happened. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Vider. I'm going to talk to Harris myself. So he goes down to Vider and Sergeant Rose talks to Harris and Harris tells him, on the day I was in Dallas, I picked up a hitchhiker named Dale and he helped me pawn some of my stolen tools that I had you know, gotten in the burglary. And they, he said, we spent the afternoon drinking beer and smoking pot. And that night, they were driving back to the motel um, from the drive-in. And they were pulled over. And that Dale was driving. And Dale shot the officer. So he said Dale told him to forget what he saw. However, Dale didn't fit the description of Emily Miller's description of the person. Because David Harris described his name as Ronald Dale Adams. Okay. I was going to say, now there are too many names and I'm not, I can't keep up. Yeah, we don't know that yet, but yeah, it's, it's, it's Adams. He is a white man. Blonde hair, blue-eyed male. So there's nothing Hispanic about him. And we're assuming that Gladys Kravitz is right because she was right about the car. Correct. Okay. But she still could be wrong. Right. But, you know, because Harris, neither Harris nor Adams are Hispanic or black. Both of them are white men. Now, so I, hold I on. Let me ask a question. Does that mean that at the night, the night of the murder, there were three people in the car? No. The now David Harris, the young man, he's got dark hair and he's olive complexed. He's a little more tan. But Randall Adams is a white man, like light hair and light eyes. So he was or was not in the car. Mm, we'll have to see. Okay. Okay. They see that. Both men that are, well, they don't know who Randall Adams is at this point yet, but when they ask David Harris to explain who is Randall, this Dale to you, he explains a white man. Okay. So they're like, okay, well, he doesn't fit the description. Something fishy is going on here. Um, and and also they noticed that um, David Harris said that um, this guy Dale had a mustache. Okay. 
and no one talks about a mustache before. So if there was someone in the driver's seat with a mustache, you think they would have noticed that, especially yep. if you could tell whether he was light or dark-skinned. Absolutely. So since Dale was the sign name on all the pawn shop receipts, they went back to all the pawn shops, and Dale was the name. They're like, okay, well, this matches up, so we got to find out who this Dale person is. Whether or not he was with him at the time of the murder, or he was with him when they did all the pawning. Exactly, on that day. Yep. So they do research, and they find out it's Randall Dale Adams. So they go to pick him up at Forest Hills Pallet Company. It was the construction company he worked at. And he explained that me being in Dallas has was a huge turn of fate. It's really crazy how like fate works and how like if you're meant to be somewhere, that's what you're that's where you're gonna be. And you can't leave. So two months prior to the murder, Adams and his brother, <clears throat> Ray, left Columbus, Ohio with thoughts of going to California for some nicer, warmer weather. They had, you know, saved up some couple hundred dollars and they decided to come to Dallas instead. So they moved to Dallas in October of 1976, just a month prior to the murder. So they left Ohio and got to Texas and were like, fuck that. That's too long of a drive. We're going to stay here. Right. <laughs> so they intended to only stay a few days, but they really did like Dallas. Which, I mean, can you blame them? No. And Adams found a construction job the next morning. Like, okay, you're right. So was, this is where you're supposed to be. And his brother found work just a week or two after that. And they rented a room in a cheap motel off Fort Worth Avenue. And by Thanksgiving, they had plans to rent an apartment with a fellow co-worker and start to build roots. So Adams left for work that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and his boss said, you know, there's no more work the West, not the West, the West. His boss said there was no more work for the rest of the week, but if he wanted to get more money, work some overtime, he could come in on Saturday. So he decided, you know, with them getting an apartment and stuff, I'll go ahead and go to work on Saturday. So he says, yeah. You know, I went to work on Saturday, but when I got there, there was no foreman on site. So I decided, well, I've already paid a full week's worth of bills at the hotel. We have all the groceries. I paid bills, so i got to make money somewhere. So I'm going to take some stereo speakers and some cassettes I'm not using, and I'm going to take them to the pawn shop, make some fast cash. So he went to the pawn shop, first pawn shop, and they weren't willing to give him very much money. So he's like, you know what, forget it. So he left. Well, as he drove away, as he drove away, his car ran out of gas. So he walks about a quarter of a mile with this plastic jug, like not even a, a gas can. So like a milk a, jug or something <laughs> that's going to fucking melt when you get the gas in there. And so he goes to put gas in it, and the attendant's like, yeah, you can't mm-hmm. put that in there. It's illegal. He's like, well, great. And so that's when Harris pulls up in the Blue Mercury Comet, and it's like, hey, you want to ride? Okay. So that's how they met. So Harris was given a polygraph test, which he failed. And he denied having any knowledge of the shooting, but after the ballistics report, it proved that the gun that he had in his possession that he stole was, the, in fact, the gun that killed Officer Wood. So Adams is like, well, Harris is like, well, Adams, the hitchhiker I picked, he's the one that did it. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Next thing you know, he's going to blame Gladys Kravitz because she was driving by being nosy. <laughs> and she pulled the gun out of the car. And out, threw it to me. And, and was like, and arced her hand over and the car. She, Turned it sideways like a Glock. So now he's blaming it on Adams because yes. he's just trying to get out, get away yes. with it. So Randall Adams was called to the police station. He passed the polygraph flying colors. Okay. Everything he said was correct. So the DA at the time, his name was Norm Kin. Norm Kin? Norm. <laughs> I guess that's how you pronounce it. K-I-N-N-E. Norm Kine? Kinney? Kinna? Kinna. So he decided, you know what? Even if Harris did do it, we can't prosecute him because he's only 16. 
and he he's he was young. only 16 yeah how, in my mind, I built a story that he was in his 30s. I don't, don't ask me why. I just did. Yeah, no, he's 16. So he's like, I can't prosecute him at 16. He's too young for the electric chair. I, I, I would feel wrong doing that. So we'll just prosecute Harris. I mean, we'll just prosecute Adams. Are you kidding me? Yeah, right? So Adams. Oh, my God. So they pull Adams in. He goes through his version of the evening. And he says, okay, well. Harris was very nice. You know, he pulled up in the Mercury and he said, hey, you know, um, looks like you need, you know, some gas. He's like, yeah, and I also am looking for some work. Adams is like, okay, well, um, you know, I I got in the car and I saw that he had some clothing in the back and a rifle and a pistol. And um, he didn't tell me the items were stolen, but I did see them. And he said, you know, I took over driving because I've been living here for about a month. So I knew where all the pawn shops were. I knew the area. And we went to four different pawn shops and he... You know, sold a few things here and there because he was only sixteen. I signed, okay. so I that's see. why that happened. So um, then Adams even was like, "Oh, you know what? You need work. Don't worry. I'm gonna take you to my job and see if they can help help you get a job." So he takes him to his job, and of course, nobody was still there. Then they drive they drive around drinking and sharing a joint, and I'm like, "You're 27 and he's 16. Why are you giving him alcohol and why are you smoking weed with him? And if he was your kid, that'd be one thing, but he's not." Yeah. He's not a nephew. It seems or... like this 16-year-old person, what's his name? I'm David Harris. Seems like David Harris is an older soul. Like he doesn't act like he's 16 years old. Well, obviously, I mean. So maybe he Adams just thought I'll just be nice to him. He yeah. seems like he's older. Looks like he's been through some shit. So Yeah. Well, and he's 16, he can has his own car it looks like, you know. Yeah. So then they're driving and they get to a stop sign and Harris just starts shooting the stop sign. And Adams is like, what the hell are you doing? Put the gun away. He's like, then after that, things got weird. Well, that's his 16-year-old coming up. Right? Mm-hmm. So then they go to the Irving Mall. <laughs> and Adams said Harris started acting very crazy. He was lifting up girls' skirts, pinching their butts, yelling at them, trying to get them to come back to the car with him. But he's 16. You know? I mean, I'm not saying that that's okay, but... Well, and he was high and he'd been drinking. Yeah, so and he's, he was probably he's, just a little jacked up. Right. I'm not saying that's good behavior, but... Adam said it was after dark when we left the mall, and he said we did go to the drive-in, and we watched a double soft porn at the drive-in. Why do guys watch porn together? That is so weird to me. What's weird to me, and why were they showing double porn, soft or not, on um, a drive-in? I think that's all they used to show at drive-in movies. I think it was a popular thing. Well, one of the... One of the movies was called swinging cheerleaders (laughs) and i had to look it up sorry mom i looked up this was debbie does dallas not the other movie it's weird i watched like a 15 20 second like clip and then like the trailer and i mean it's more risque than like a rated r but not like triple x but it's weird that like they would watch it together and then like they drank beer and like Smoked pot while they did it. That's and then he's 16, you know? Yeah, that's just weird. But Adam said that we didn't even watch the second one. It barely started, and we're like, let's leave. This and he said... Weird. They finally realized this is just too weird. Because the second movie was The Student Body. Oh. So they left. Um, Adam said, you know, we drove back to the motel without any problems. I took the Inwood exit of Highway 183, crossed over Hampton Road, Fort Worth Avenue, straight to the motel, went to bed. There was no shooting. I, I, I witnessed no shooting. I didn't shoot anyone. That didn't happen. So Sergeant Rose was like, yeah, you're going down. 
you're the perpetrator because you helped the kid dispose of all the stolen items. You gave him beer. You gave him weed. You treated him to an X-rated movie. And then you committed homicide. Case closed. So they convict him of homicide or murder in the first degree. That's such bullshit. So the next year, May of 1977. So he didn't have, I guess he didn't have money for an attorney or anything like that. Surely his family was fighting to get him out and stuff like that, I right? I can't wait to talk to you about his mom. But first, okay. in May of 1977, so it's seven months later, uh, the DA manufactured incriminating evidence in the form of three eyewitnesses who testified that they had ridden by the shooting scene just as Officer Wood was walking up to the blue sedan. Gladys this, Kravitz. This is my favorite part. Listeners, if you do nothing else during this quarantine, if you don't go to YouTube and rent The Thin Blue Line for $2 or $4. I've heard that. And watch it. It is the best documentary about this case. It plays it out. But you know the clip that I sent you of the of the black guy that's talking mm-hmm. about how <laughs> oh <laughs> they oh, thought no. I was showing her, but she's too ugly. She's too ugly. I wouldn't I wouldn't be with her. Have absolute they are every one of them is salty the way they talk. And they have no filter. It's just a really good documentary. I mean, I watched it twice because the first time I watched it, I was so enthralled and laughing, I couldn't even really take notes. So the second time I was able to actually watch it and take notes. <laughs> So Wait, oh, it's on YouTube, you said. It, it, you can rent it on YouTube. That's the only place I found it. Now, if you have a copy or if you find a copy, that's even better. But um, I think it was like $4 to rent for three days. So even though it was between 12 and 1 a.m. and it was dark and, and inside the car and it was unlit, right? There was an, a, the three witnesses identified Adams as the driver. So are these three separate cars or are these three people in one car? I'm not sure. I think it's two in one car and then one other. Okay, so two separate vehicles. Two separate vehicles. They don't know each other. So two cars randomly saw this just at the right time. Right. Okay. Maybe that is that a really busy street. Maybe it's a heavily populated street where they sell drugs or there's... Well, it wasn't a not-so-good area. So maybe. And that's actually that you point that out. The guy that made the statement about the, the wife thing, he actually says that the reason why... He was able to see him and why he feels that he made a good eyewitness testimony was because when he saw the police car, he slowed really down because he didn't want, if he was going to dismiss this vehicle, he didn't want to speed past the policeman him come around and get him because he's like, I'm a black man in a bad okay. area. So he was, he slowed so, down so he wouldn't get pulled over and, or whatever. And he was watching to see what was going on. So these three witnesses say, yeah, 100% Adams was the driver, but these IDs were obviously wrong. Two of the eyewitnesses was a husband and wife team, which was Mr. and Mrs. Miller, and they were looking for the $21,000 reward. The I thought other, it was twenty five. dollars Oh, they dropped it in at $21,000. Oh, okay. The other witness had a daughter that was in trouble with the law, and she was promised that her daughter would get out of jail and have her record wiped clean if she testified that she saw what she saw. Hmm. After the trial... That's, that's legal. The charges of her, from her daughter were dropped, by the way. All three of the witnesses... Bought for and were coached to commit perjury. So Officer Turco, those three witnesses, even though the jury heard them, they didn't find out later until they obviously committed perjury, but they got up there and just swore that they saw it and they saw everything. Well, I mean, the prosecutors knew that they were committing perjury, but the the judge and everybody else didn't know at the time. Correct, correct. When Officer Turco takes the stand, while admitting she hadn't seen the shooter clearly, she said that his hair was the same color as Adam's. That it, that it had to be Adams. Now, you're in the back, right? Like, how 
Like their statements were just so specific, but yet how can you be so specific? Well, and let's let's take a step back. Cars in the 70s, if they were small and you were in the back, if it wasn't four door, the window that you saw out of was a fucking triangle. So think about older cars that were on two door, like maybe a Nova or whatever. If you were in the back seat, you couldn't see out because you didn't have a window. If it's four door, then obviously you could. So it depends also what kind of car were they in. Like the mm-hmm. eyewitness cars, you could have mm-hmm. used that and said, you can't really see out in certain cars. Yeah. So um, then Adam said, you know, I'm going to take the stand on my own behalf. I know I'm innocent. So the jurors found the defendant guilty of murder. They didn't believe that he didn't do it. They believe 100% that it was him. So they can they charged him. Wow. They gave him a, a, a guilty sentence. And the penalty phase of the trial, which determined whether there was a probability if he was given a life sentence with possibility of parole would he commit a future act of violence so the da put two so-called quote-unquote expert witnesses on the stand who testified that randall adams was a very dangerous man even though he had zero history of violence in his past did they have any did he not get any character witnesses or did any of his family get to testify or anything no his lawyer sucked obviously bad i'd be getting myself another fucking lawyer he had no history of violence the psychiatrists were obviously bogus. The first was Dr. John Holbrook. He had been chief of psychiatry with Texas Department of Corrections. And the second was Dr. John Grigson, which after speaking to um, Adams for only 15 minutes, he decided that boy needs to be electrocuted. That's what he said. They just paid. The, those All those people were paid to say whatever it is they said. And this was interesting. Dr. Grigson was so predictable that the prosecution actually laughed whenever he was giving his testimony because they knew what he was going to say before he so said I'm saying it. He, he was paid to say all of that. And he had testified in more than 100 trials that ended in death sentences, and the defense attorneys nicknamed him as Dr. Death. Wow. Because Dr. Death. Yeah. But according to American Psychiatric Association, then and now, there's no way to determine if someone will or will not be dangerous in the future. Yeah, you can't. There are too many variables. But relying on corrupt and incorrect psych testimony, the jury voted to sentence Adams to death by lethal injection. Shitty jury. So after the trial is over, Dennis White, who was his attorney, his lack of attorney, I guess, Mm -hmm. he starts learning all these details. He's like, oh my gosh, all this information is false. No, come on. <laughs> You're no telling idea. me that he believed he believed his own bullshit? No, this he's he's bullshit. He's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that all this testimony or all this prosecution against my client was incorrect. I can't believe they were lying on the So stand. he can he has access to the same information that they do, or they're supposed to be able to. Maybe he didn't. So he's like, you know what, I'm gonna figure out how to discredit Emily Miller because she's kind of the smoking gun. Like she She's the one that started it. Is she if, Gladys Kravitz? Yes. Okay. If we can try and discredit her, it'll work. So he goes and he starts reading about her. And he reads her testimony where she states that she had just gotten off work at Fast Gas, the service station. <laughs> and whenever she was driving past the scene, that's what happened. Well, according to her employment records, she had been deter- been terminated 14 days prior to, so she wasn't leaving work. So she but and I thought she was with her husband. She was right. in the passenger seat. So right. she wasn't, unless he picked her up from work. So hold on. So that means his attorney wasn't actually in the moment during the trial. He had to be preoccupied if he wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is already pissing me off so right. bad. They talked to her coworkers and they're like, no, her husband came in a couple of days after the murder 
and she was there. I don't know what she was doing at the gas station, but the coworkers overheard her and her husband. Two of her coworkers stated that they heard her husband, Robert Miller, saying he never saw the driver and that one of the employees heard the Millers talking about trying to get the reward money. So they're having this conversation inside the convenience store, Correct. which is how the co-workers are hearing it. Correct. Okay. So Dennis also failed to discuss at the trial that the second feature that they left ended at 1149, and it was a hour and 10-minute movie. So he's stating, that, or he's, he realizes now that if Adam stated they left shortly after it started and went back to the hotel, then there would have been plenty of time for... Harris to then get in the car and leave and mm-hmm. go commit the murder by, by himself. himself while Adam stayed at the hotel, which yep. would make more sense why Officer Turco's first statement was there was only one person in the vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Especially, well, I guess it would depend on how far away the the drive-in movie was from the hotel. I guess he's able to determine that there, it was, plenty of there was plenty of time. And his brother Ray was sleeping at the hotel, and he woke his brother up whenever he got back. But his brother said, yeah, he woke me up, but I have no idea what... He didn't look at the time. ...what time it was, you know? And whenever... Um, in in the interview, I have to say, whenever they interview Adams, like, he's always so calm and so passive and, like, no anger or anything. Is like, this maybe just, why they took advantage of yeah. his demeanor? Well, the psychiatrist, everyone that talked to him, described him as slow-witted and very passive. Was he a little bit mentally delayed, possibly? Could be. Potentially. Just a little bit slow to the point where he maybe didn't realize what was happening to him at the time. Yeah. You know? I would be so vocal about being innocent. There's no way. Like, they would know for sure. Mm-hmm. I would be one of those people that, I like... because from the first day, they basically just told him, like, you have to go down for it because he's only 16. I still... Like, do you So, want, you sure think he was like, just doing it for the kid? Maybe, maybe that's what he was doing. I, mean, I still wouldn't. I'd be like... You need to hold that little shit for two years until he can right. go to jail. Right. If he did it. So in January of 1979, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed Adams' conviction and death sentence um, and sentenced Adams to die on May 8th of 1979. They didn't waste no time. No time. You know, in Texas, we got an express lane. <laughs> <laughs> so on May 5th, three days before. That's really not funny, but it's funny. Sorry, on May 5th. Um, three days before the date of execution, in the electric chair. Oh, my gosh. The U.S. Supreme Court ordered a stay of execution. They gave him a stay, okay. And the governor of Texas at the time, Bill Clements, decided to commute his sentence to life instead of, because there was so much speculation. Yeah, good. So, good the job. next year, June of 1980, Adams gets a break. Um, U.S. Supreme Court overturned his sentence issues due to a technical issue. A section of Texas law requires jurors to swear that the possibility of a death sentence would not influence their deliberations on issues. Their deliberation on? Issues if it was found unconstitutional. If what was found unconstitutional? His rights? Okay. (laughs) Read it again. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned his, his sentence. Due to technical issues. And the issue was a section of Texas law requiring jurors to swear that the possibility of a death sentence would not influence their deliberation. Okay. So basically, that was the complete opposite. They already wanted to... They were told ahead of time, he's going to fry. Yeah, basically. So they swayed the jury. So the Supreme Court was saying Adams and any other death row inmate convicted under the same statute was entitled to a new trial. So the new DA, Henry Wade, held a press conference and stated that Adam would be tried for a second time, not double jeopardy, we're going to give him a whole new trial, and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals had 15 days 
to order a new trial. But, dun, 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 shit. Wade and his staff persuaded Governor Bill Clements to commute Adam's sentence to be removed and the conviction otherwise without error and plans of a new trial promptly forgotten. So just undo everything we just did because it's going to cause all this uproar. Well, and it's going to show how, how, yeah. it's just going to show how fucked up everything was yeah. and how inadequate they were. Yeah. And they don't want that out there in the world for everybody to know. So Miss Mildred Adams, Randall Adams' mom, she's had enough. Good. Good job, so she, mom. Guess who she calls? Guess who she calls? Who? Richard. Racehorse Haynes. Racehorse Haynes. Yes, that's a callback from a previous story. Yes, color. Racehorse. Yep. Yeah. I have chills. So she calls him and he's like, "I'm really sorry. Girl, I got you. No. I can't. I'm so backed up, and it would cost you so much money. I can't do that to you. I wish I could. You know, if there, if he's still around, if you need me later, I can. But I just." I can't take it on and give it all give it all that needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, he's he does not, he doesn't half ass it. He's like, but you know what? A lawyer that I have Let me hook you up with someone. and knows is like a mini version of me. His name is Randy Schaefer. Let me give you him. He's my first rate lawyer. He's new. He's got it. And I he's hired hungry. him and I trained him. She's like, no problem. Schaefer gets to work. So in February of 1984, Schaefer files uh, an application for a writ of habeas corpus mm-hmm. in which he showed evidence that um, Everybody was lying. This is all a bunch of bullshit. That they didn't give all the evidence mm-hmm. to Dennis White. Oh, so he they, didn't know. They suppressed, and that new evidence had come up. He didn't know any of it until it came out in the newspapers from the reporters being at the trial. Correct. And oh, then it God. made him look so stupid. Of because course. Because they're like, how did you let this guy fry when you should have known better? So if granted, Schaefer would have to prove Adams had been railroaded regardless if he's innocent or guilty. He's like, if I can just prove... That you, it wasn't right whether mm-hmm. you did it or not. That's all that matters. Yep. So he works on this for almost two years. So fast forward to October of 1986. Schaefer was notified that a federal magistrate. Good job. I don't know what it means. But. It's, uh, it's the same thing as a judge, <laughs> okay. I think, or something like that. In Dallas did grant a writ hearing after reviewing all the evidence that Schaefer had gotten together. So Schaefer visits David Harris in, um, Schaefer decides he wants to interview David Harris. After he's done all this research to see that he definitely was railroaded. And he's like, I can't find him. Where is he? Where do you think he is? He's not. He's in prison. David Harris? What did oh. he do wrong? Oh, the 16-year-old. At this yeah. point, what is he like? 20 in his 20s? He's, um, let's see, 86 from 79. So he's what? Um, seven years. So he's 23? Yep. Guess where he is? He's well, in jail. Well, David... While Adams was in prison, David joined the army. Hmm. And while stationed in Germany, he committed a series of burglaries that led to a stretch in the federal prison in Leavenworth, Kansas. Leavenworth. Okay. <laughs> After his release, he moved to California where he committed several kidnappings and robberies. And then in 1985, Harris came back to Texas, motherfucker, went to Beaumont, murdered a, murdered a man. Yeah, and then the next year, he's sentenced to death. So now he's in prison in Huntsville. Same prison. He's in the same prison as David? David and Randall are in the same. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess David hadn't seen him, or Randall hadn't seen him, no, or he would have said something. Yeah, yeah. They're in different units. Yeah. The first again. I'm sure first they again. probably have to keep them separate. Remember you know? I was trying to say Ferguson unit? First again. Ferguson. <laughs> so in 1988, a documentary comes out called The Thin Blue Line by Errol Morris. 
So Errol Morris saw all this going on and was like, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to make myself a documentary. So probably while the documentary is being filmed, Schaefer is probably still also doing yes. his investigation. Okay. Yeah. So the documentary, um, so Morris is like, I'm going to, I'm just going to go through, I'm going to read everything. I'm going to go through all the evidence that I can. I'm so does he get it from Schaefer or do you know? I'm sure he just gets it from the courthouses. And then he wants to talk to all the witnesses himself. And so in, in the documentary, Morris is the one asking these witnesses. Questions. I'm going to go watch it tonight. It's awesome. So Morris exposed the biggest thing was that the eyewitnesses were all liars. Mm-hmm. And that Dr. John Grigson was a huge courtroom fraud. And that he just liked the fame to be like, oh, I'm Dr. Death. And yeah. I just see all this evil in people. I'm like, you're as bad as a serial I killer. I think I've heard of him. That name sounds really familiar. I know other people have the nickname Dr. Death. But I think I remember there was a pathologist that, or mm-hmm. was it a psychiatrist. But I just feel like. He's why- a forensic psychologist right no he just he he's a psychiatrist, psychiatrist. he goes in and says like yes they're dangerous or they're not or i think they did it or they yeah. have this but like if he's it's all speculation he has no proof for no, any of it he's doing it for fame to be able to say he's dr death then he's a serial killer too absolutely because you're sentencing innocent people to death you're using the system to yeah to be twisted so Moore spends months reviewing the records and tracking down witnesses so he interviews harris in prison. So he goes to Huntsville. And he says, oh, yeah, he's a very engaging young man. He's not menacing or frightening. He's very normal. But the murder he committed in Beaumont was straight out of a sociopath's book. That's straight from Morris's mouth. He said okay. he broke into an apartment, dragged a young woman naked and screaming into his car. And then when her boyfriend comes out to rescue her, he fills him with five slugs right in the back. Didn't he shoot the cop five times? Yeah. What's and, it? What, and what's like, it with him and five what a bullets? Great boyfriend, right? Like he goes out there to save her, and then he kills. Him. So sad. <sighs> so then, so then Morris goes to interview Miss um, Emily Miller and Michael Randall, you know the husband and wife duo, mm-hmm. about how they were so sure that Adams was the driver. So Miss Miller acted as if she was like the heroine in a drama. <laughs> so in the trial, she's got like brown, like natural dark brown hair. Regular clothes, t-shirt, and jeans. When this guy gets to her house, why she got bleached hair and a dress like she's about to walk down the red carpet? And she's like, yeah, so I always dreamed that um, it's been a lifelong fantasy to be the girlfriend of like a famous private detective like Charlie Chan or Boston Blackie. This bitch. Come on, people. (laughs) Shit. She said, even before the murder, I have been an eyewitness to an incredible number of murders and acts of violence. Okay, let's hear your, tell <laughs> us says, your story, which is what she wants. I talked about how, she talked about how when things like this happen in the news, she would go and try and solve it before the detectives did. And she, when she's talking, she talks so seductively. Like she's making love to the camera. I'm like, this bitch, I can't stand her. <laughs> <laughs> go to the next person. So she, at that at this time, when they do the interview, her and Randall are divorced. So she's like, me and my ex-husband. She keeps saying, make sure you know it's her ex-husband. So that she wants to make sure everyone knows that she's single. She's single, all the single ladies. So she said her and her ex-husband had viewed a lineup. They were called into the station, and they were given a lineup. And neither one of them, or sorry, she didn't choose Adams hmm. from the lineup. I thought she saw him so clearly. So clearly. And her husband didn't even choose anyone during that time he, he said you know, he didn't see anybody or that he wasn't paying attention do you know why 
She said, I didn't lie when I said that I saw him and I knew it was him. Because she was told when they were exiting, that was Adam's, that's who you were supposed to choose. Oh, of course she was. So Why didn't like, I figure that she's out? She's like, so when they asked me if I chose him from a lineup, I wouldn't lie him. I'm like, but you were. Stupid bitch. Yeah, I said it. Stupid bitch. Yeah. So then Michael Randall initially stated they were in the car together. But they weren't in the car together. Hmm. He initially said, no, no, no. I was playing basketball the night of the murder. And I was driving back from the courts. Who plays basketball at midnight? They have courts that have lights. It's probably not that far-fetched. So he said he he was playing basketball. So so they interviewed him. He's like, yeah, I lied. I I said I was playing basketball. And I also said I played for the NBA. But, you know, I mean, that's not what I was doing. Boy, we know. (laughs) He's like, "I, I admit I've been out drinking. I was at the plush pub in Fort Worth. And I was trying to hurry home because the woman in the car wasn't my wife. I'm like, you lying piece of shit. Why, guys, why do you cheat? Why do you cheat? Women cheat too, though, for the record. That's true. But so he said my wife would have been, would have tore my head off if she knew I was out with another, another woman. Well, I guess you weren't that scared if you were still out there trying to get it. Right. She said, you know, one is black and one is white. And they said I was going with, the reason I was over that time of night, I was over there messing with this man's wife. Not because of any other reason besides that she was too old and too ugly. Um, husbands, the response is, I love my wife so much, I would never cheat on her. Not this other woman who is married. When Randall was subpoenaed a year after the interview, in the writ hearing, when, when, when Mr... Okay. When Randall was subpoenaed a year after this this interview. Where he didn't want to mess with the old ugly man. Yeah. In the red hearing, he he stated, um <laughs> I don't even remember if I was married during that time. <laughs> oh my god. What? He can't remember if he was married. He's hot. He's so hot. Even though during the case he insisted that being a salesman, he made it his business to study people in situations, and he developed a rare gift of total recall. <laughs> but you don't remember if you were married. He, he can't recall when he left his wife. But he has total recall memory. Yes, ma'am. So in 1989, <laughs> after the airing of this uh, documentary, Dallas District Court Judge Larry Baraka Following a three-day hearing on the case, recommended the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, he would be granted a new trial. So on March 1st of 1989, the appeals court received a unanimous 27-page opinion that cited gross prosecutorial wrongdoing ordered a new trial. Three weeks later, Dallas County DA Kin, I'm sorry, DA not Kin, because he's not there anymore, dropped all charges. Yay! We're about time. What what's that? Ten years, thirteen years later? Twelve years. Yeah. So he was free after twelve years behind bars. But let me tell you what's fucked up, okay? Well, first of all, he spent twelve years in jail for oh. nothing. Because the governor did not pardon him, he received zero dollars of compensation for the twelve years he said him. That's bullshit. Yeah, zero. He was supposed to get twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. 
for the 12 which years. Which is odd, because isn't that the same amount of money they gave for the re- that they offered for the reward? Yeah. For the reward? <laughs> That's true. He, he became a free man after 12 years. But, and then in 2004, David Harris... So he was freed in 89? Yes. Okay. And then in 2004, David Harris was executed... Good. By lethal injection for the 1985 shooting in Beaumont, and on his deathbed, he admitted to killing Well, what happened on his deathbed? <laughs> it was well-deserved, because he kept killing. Yeah. He kept so, doing stupid right. shit. And then in October 30th of 2010, poor Randall Adams died of a brain tumor. He moved, after oh, he was released, he no. moved back to Ohio where his family was. So he was with his family. Yes. So um, I unfortunately could not find anything... I cannot find anything about Robert Wood. I cannot find anything about his life. So to his family, I hope he rests in peace. And I hate that they lost someone. He was a young officer. He's a handsome guy. Hispanic man is very sad. Um, rest in peace, Officer Wood. Absolutely. And I also feel bad for his the officer, the woman that was drinking the milkshake, because I'm sure she probably carried a lot of guilt for mm-hmm. Not following protocol and, and everything that happened thereafter. I mean, it's hard enough for a woman to be a cop mm-hmm. back then, right? You even mm-hmm. said yep. that she was one and of then, the only like, ones that was active. Imagine how selfish she felt. Like, I sat back in the car. I would have felt like shit. Drinking my milkshake. I didn't follow protocol. Like, all these things I could have, should have, would have done may have saved us. Well, life. it's not like Robert was trying to make her follow protocol and she wasn't. Neither one of them did what they were supposed to do. True. So, But I'm sure that she still felt really, really bad. And felt responsible, you know, even though mm-hmm. she didn't do it. She didn't ask for that guy to be a mm-hmm. dumbass. So that means that he was by himself. Yes. So David Harris, after the movie. So what actually happened? So, so let's talk the, through that. So, they, so their stories up until the drive-in are both accurate. But after the movie, David Harris decided that he was going to go back to Vider. So he. So because it makes sense the way he was going was back to Vider. So it doesn't make sense when you see the route, where he was going, why him and him and Adams would have, like, where would they have been going? Because it was the opposite direction of the motel, but towards the highway 183 where he would have got on to go to Vider, which makes even oh, so more sense. so he did go back to the hotel with him. He did go back to the okay. hotel with him. Okay, okay. Yeah. They went back to the hotel and they all went to bed. But I guess Harris couldn't sleep or maybe decided he, he wanted to go hang out with a food reference. Yeah. And he, so on his way back, and then he's like, shit, I can't go down for this, right? Because So about what, why did he shoot the cop? Because he's got stolen tools. He's got a stolen pistol. He's got a stolen rifle. Yeah, so you're going to go to jail. Is it worth, I mean, if you're. Or he could shoot him and drive drive on. I mean, he's a he does burglaries. He does robberies. He thinks he's a gangster. He's 16. Yeah, he enough. also has a whole day filled with marijuana and, uh, and drink all day. Yeah. I wonder if there's some meth or something in there, too. Because if you smoke and drink, like, are you going to be all hyped up? I mean, I'm asking. I don't know. Girl, I don't do drugs. <laughs> Caffeine is my only drug. Did they talk about um, his upbringing, David Harris? Like, what what kind of upbringing um, he had? What about his family or anything? You know, there was there was some in the book. I didn't the book. I'm not refer- I didn't really reference much. I read some of it, but it it was so in depth, like yeah, that I got a little overwhelmed. And then when I watched the documentary, I was like, this is where the good information mm-hmm. is, and this is really kind of what I wanted to base the story on because the documentary gave perspective and it also interviewed the people, which made the characters even even funnier. A little history of Randall Adams. He grew up in a blue-collar home in Columbus, Ohio. The only arrest he ever had was as a teenager, he got pulled over for a DWI. And they lived in such a small town, they just drove him home and was like, yeah, take care of him. 
But his dad was a coal miner, and his mom, uh, he was one of five kids. His dad died young, and his mom went to nursing school. And then, <laughs> I like this. So in the newspaper, they had, they were talking about when they looked back at his employment records. Why does this boy put on his application? My non-religious activities include dogs, football, basketball, and women. <laughs> who wrote that, Harris or Adams? Adams. Like, who puts that on your application? Just in case you want to hang out, these are the things I like. Non-religious activities are non-religious women. Women. <laughs> Bam. I, I, it scares me how many wrongful conviction cases there are. Yeah, it's fucked up. I it's, mean, it's gotten a little bit better, I think, because it's not as easy to railroad people, especially mm-hmm. in bigger cities. Mm-hmm. And people are, are more inclined to, to stand up for themselves and not just do what the cops tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one, huh? Yeah, that was a good yeah, one. So everyone, while you're quarantined, please watch The Thin Blue Line. It will not only be insightful, uh, the reenactments are kind of funny. But also, uh, the people are very comical. And they're local, too. Mm-hmm. So yep. so if you know anything about this story that we left out, feel free to post it on yeah. our page and or our YouTube. Over, we'll have to go to Hampton Avenue. Yeah, and take some and pictures. Take some pictures. And take you know exactly where it is on Hampton? Yeah. Cool. And then where the Burger King is, too, if it's still there. Cool. All right. Well, that's a good one. It's a wrap. Rest in peace, Robert Wood, Officer Robert Wood. All right. That's a wrap. See you later. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.